All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Jason Greger Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca, your digital home for online gaming excitement, including casino, live dealer, lottery instance, and sport betting. Sign up today at PlayAlberta.ca. Jimmy Q, what is happening, man? Not much. I, I actually have four championships. Not that I'm a guy who likes to correct people. Oh, that's right. Okay. But yeah. I was spoiled. Three as a coach and yeah. one, right, right. I was thinking of One as a spectator in the finals, but I'll yeah. take it. Yeah, yeah. That was with <laughs> The Rock, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. I forgot you had three. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's right. I thought you had two as a, in Edmonton, but it was obviously uh, three with Saskatchewan. So uh, there you go. That's uh, that's a pretty good career. The uh, I know your uh, your players... Uh, is it true that they keep moving your banner around in the uh, in the rafters? Well, that's the joke. The running joke always <laughs> is the, they keep saying it's a little bit higher and behind more pillars there in uh, the Sastel Center. So uh, it's a good joke. I actually, uh, between you and I, don't think I should be up there, but I'll uh, happily... Uh, allow it to be there. Yeah, well, it's, it's one of those things you probably couldn't turn it down. I know Bruce Urban and them, um, you know, you're one of the original members of the Rush. You came in and, exp- you know, a local guy who, uh, you know, lacrosse really, and, and you look at that decade where the Rush played in Edmonton, the lacrosse community grew sub- significantly, but, you know, you and, there was Jamie Bowen, there was Kevin Howard, there's a few other guys, but, you know, like, lacrosse for the longest time, like, you played lacrosse and people like, why do you play lacrosse, right? Like, it was kind of, that's how it was for a long time in Edmonton. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was uh, kind of a, a niche sport. I think it uh, with the rush coming to Edmonton, it, it exploded um, with the grassroots. And um, unfortunately, the numbers have kind of dropped with uh, COVID, but I think they're on the upswing. Uh, but we've actually seen the same kind of turnaround in Saskatchewan. So, again, uh, I constantly get asked by people if Edmonton would ever get a professional lacrosse team. and They should. And I agree they should, but uh, that answer is above my pay grade. So, uh Uh, Again, I I think if they had one, I think it'd be supported, but 
um, again, it was awesome the, the 10 years we had here and to go out with the championship in 2015 was uh, a surreal moment for a kid who you know, grew up going to Oiler games and, and to be able to win in that arena. Yeah, well, I can tell you, as somebody who was um, who who watched the games, obviously called the games closely. I'm probably a little biased, but I, I think it was a real blow to the sporting community in Edmonton when they left, uh, especially because they left at the height. Like, so they won in 15, but then you guys went to I think three championships in the next four years, or it was three out of four, including the 15 one. Like, it it was a very good team. Like Saskatchewan fans inherited like a championship team that just doesn't happen very. Often. Yeah, and we we actually are kind of feeling that a little bit now in Saskatchewan because they were spoiled. We went in sixteen and one. Um, we were the top team in seventeen and lost in the finals. We won again in eighteen. Uh, we're again a, a favorite to win in nineteen, and then COVID shut things down when they were in first place. Um, and so those fans, you know, well, we've missed the playoffs the last two years, and so they're screaming, "What's going on there?" <laughs> um, but I mean, if you were a Rush fan in Edmonton, you were probably screaming, oh. "What's going on for the first eight years?" Because um, we were the doormat of the league. So. Um, you know, it's kind of come full circle and we're kind of back to where we might have been in, in 2013, 2012 in, in Edmonton with the team in Saskatchewan where we, we look like we've got a bright future. We just got to kind of get things turned around. Uh, the NLL is, is really, uh, it's still a pretty young league overall when you consider things. And when you look at like the NLL players now, and I got I got a firsthand view of it, uh, doing the play by play and going on the road and everything. And, you know, you're flying commercial. It's, it's, it's like the NHL was before they flew private, right? And you know, there's funny stories, uh, you know, some brutal ones about delayed flights and different things like that. But, you know, you look at you look back at your time and you'd come from Toronto where you'd won. Right. But you were a young guy and you know, didn't get to play as much. You came here, you played a ton. So as a player, you probably like it more. You're playing. Obviously, you'd like to win more games. But you look back on the early years of the rush and. Um, there are some interesting characters that played for that team. Like, who are the, who are the players that you remember that just kind of, if you sit back and like, God, that guy was just a character that makes you laugh. Well, Trent Smalley was one. Uh, he didn't have a lot of games, but I mean, we had the running joke where they had taxi cabs for us with a kind of like a chit. So you had a code you punched in with co-op taxi. And uh, I remember the first month went by and he had, I think, $2,000 in taxi cheats because everyone was signing his name. And, uh, you know, he, the good guy he was, he just rolled with the punches. So he was kind of, a, you know, a good comedian. Uh, I think more, too, though, like when you ask that question to some of the funnier stories, um, I can remember, you know, uh, sharing a hotel room with uh, Jamie Bowen in San Jose where we had a heart-shaped tub. And I'm going, what are we doing in this place? Uh <laughs> I remember the time we traveled on uh, American uh, spring break and we, we ended up not having our equipment arrive. And so they shuttled our equipment from Arizona to San Jose and we were given 15 minutes to warm up and we proceeded to get pounded 15, four. Um, so some of those are, are kind of the ones that I hold on to. Uh, um, I, and though it's funny that you, you, I, cause I was on that trip. Yes, you, I think you were. And, um, I remember the thing, the reason I remember, cause this is the greatest play by play venue in the league back then, because they'd forgotten to put a press box in originally in that arena. So they made a makeshift one right at the top of the first level. So it was perfect vantage point for a play by play guy. And because the game got delayed, I think it was like an hour and a half. Correct. Uh, the game was delayed. So they were offering like $4 beers. And um, I can't remember, God, it might have been Bowen, because uh, one of the players who wasn't playing would be the color guy for the game. And <laughs> Bowen must have been four. He's like, well, i got to have a few beers here. It's four bucks of beer. <laughs> so it was like there was lots of funny stories. 
Um, but do you remember that? Who was the name of your trainer who used to be an absolute garage sale? Oh. Every time he'd run out of like he would, he had like this. Is anybody out there who's Trevor Firth? I'm going to correct you because you're going through the story and uh, you think he had the belt, but he never had the belt because uh, he never had any equipment on him. So uh, it was our, our uh, athletic therapist's idea to get him a belt. Okay. So we got an electrician's belt. That's and our goal, what it was. Our goalie went belt. down and he jumps over the board and proceeds to run out of there while he's yard sailing all his tools. <laughs> everywhere and the athletic therapist is falling behind him yeah the stories are endless when it comes to the national lacrosse league i remember the time bruce urban brought a boat onto the field and yeah. uh, the, the the gentleman couldn't drive it off the field so there was a 10 minute delay while the uh and again remember we're not good at this time and yeah. I, I think the team at the time i, I remember chris hall was coaching and I, again i think it might have been the the washington stealth um everett stealth and and he was losing his mind because they might have been on a six goal run and all of a sudden we got like an extra halftime because there was a boat that was brought on as a promotional yeah. piece, and they couldn't get it off. And so um, the league has come a long ways since then. Uh, do I miss some of those uh, events? I do, actually, because they were always, uh, you know, I, I think a, a light, bright spot when, when things weren't going well or even when they were going well. And so um, I think the, the the worse it was off the floor, sometimes the better we were on it. Uh, I still remember when Firth looked at the team president. <laughs> Dwayne Vanoe, and was like, can you carry the jerseys? <laughs> well, how about like, the time he forgot the jerseys? Oh, we that, ended up in Portland with no jerseys yeah. because he thought someone else was bringing them. You're the equipment guy. That would be your responsibility. Oh, so, man. Yeah, they're they're endless. I mean, again, this expansion team, we didn't really know what we were getting into or yeah. what we were doing, and so... Um, yeah, a lot of funny stories. So, you know, you went through the, the of a team that, that wasn't winning and um, you know, the, there was a few times where they made some some very questionable trades. Like, and that's usually that's what happens when you lose an organization to remain a losing organization is, you know, you trade picks for some. You know, uh, There's a few of your top picks that they traded away for, like, guys who are near the tail end of their career hoping that they'd, you know, because, oh, God, we got to win. We need an offensive guy. And it never worked out. And then finally, you know, like when they hired Derek Keenan, that really seemed to change the organization. Yeah, for sure. I think sometimes when you're when you're losing, you're you're trying to do anything to win, and you don't really stay the course. And so those first few years, we had multiple coaches, multiple assistant coaches. I think I played with over a hundred players in my first four years in the league, which is uh, with which is ludicrous, really. And then I think it was in 2010 when we we brought in Derek Keenan, and um, you know he kind of made a point to keep our draft picks. We were no longer going to trade our first round draft picks, and then you know he was able to acquire some assets, and then. Again, he made a couple brilliant trades along the way that ended up getting us Mark Matthews and we ended up getting us Robert Church and Ben McIntosh. And all of a sudden we were a team that had won a championship and we were, we, we were picking first overall, which I mean, that, that to me is a head scratcher. And so that became kind of, you know, the beginning of something. And, and, and again, I think it's interesting how sports and life are similar where you got to sometimes be patient. And I, I think in the, in the beginning years, we weren't that and, um, we suffered because of it. When you're in it as a player, how do you react when you see your organization making a move like that? It's just like, what are we doing? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I remember, especially when you're young. I think as I kind of got older and I started to know, uh, you know, Bruce a little bit better. I remember we weren't very good in, I believe, 2011 and uh, or even 2012, one of those years. And, and it was going to be another, are we going to get rid of the coach moment? And I remember having a conversation with him after we'd lost in Calgary. I was driving down the highway. I picked up the phone and I phoned him. I said, like, what's our plan here? Because our plan can't be to just start fresh again because it felt like every two years we were starting fresh. And so, um, again... So you as a captain called the owner? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I just said, like, what's our plan here? And, and again, lacrosse community is a small one, knowing that 
you know, if we turn over a, a coach and GM, the next guy we bring in is going to bring in all his players. They're yes. going to bring on all the people they're comfortable with. And again, not to say it won't work. It's just going to, again, take more time and more time and more time. And again, I, I thought that, you know, I had been through my fourth or fifth head coach and GM and I knew Derek was as prepared as any of them. And he was, uh, he was a very good one. And, um, it, turned out to be I think the right decision to hold on to him and he's uh, been instrumental both in the in the rush's success as well as my career so do you think Bruce like when you have that conversation and you'd been around I think Bruce respected you enough to to want to listen to you and and like Bruce Urban was great as an owner he spared no expense that's the one thing about the rush like you guys you know you, you had some you know minor league things like that but he went above and beyond on how he treated the players to give them the best possible thing for NLL players right at that point I, I think he was an owner who was never afraid to spend I think that's fair to say he brought in like he spent lots of money on uh, on different acts and you know you're meeting GSP and different things like that um so in that conversation you get the sense that you help convince him to say okay Bruce like you can't be reactionary now yeah I think I I I like to hope I did Uh, I think there was other people too that were talking to him um again Bruce did everything in terms of trying to grow the game in Edmonton get fans in the doors he again like you said spared no expense um, and I could see, like, you know, in talking with him, the stress he was under and, and, and the desire he had to want to, to have a winner. He wanted a winner. He wanted to win more than I think anyone around the team. And, and so again, I think in having that conversation with him, I think I just, you know, brought to light the idea that again, we need a plan. And, and I think once we decided to have the plan and Derek had a plan with keeping the draft picks and, and then Bruce was really good in terms of getting the players we needed to and, and providing a first class organization, that's when we actually started to have some success. And so, um, yeah, Bruce was awesome. And, and I like to think maybe that my conversation that afternoon after losing in Calgary, uh, kind of helped steer things in the right direction. Jimmy Quinlan joins us. Of course, uh, he is the current head coach of the Saskatchewan rush in the NLL, uh, uh, resides in Edmonton, uh, works at, uh, at Vimy, uh, Academy. Uh, you oversee the, now do you still oversee the whole lacrosse department? I've got someone in there helping me. Yeah. But, uh, for the most part, yeah, me and another teacher run the, the lacrosse with these, uh, two, fabulous uh women's our women's program has just exploded so we're we're to a point now where we've got yeah more uh female players than than male players um and it's it's unbelievable to see and there's a ton of opportunity there so we're 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 fortunate to have some uh you know two two gals that played in the ncaa one played for team canada that have a wealth of knowledge and um the education and the coaching that the players in our program get uh i i pretty confident say it's it's Top notch, uh, Jimmy. It's interesting. Uh, I was Derek Keenan is a great guy. I you know really got to know uh, uh, Derek quite well as his time. Um, learned a lot about the game from him. And um, when I found out you're coming on, I was reaching out to a few guys about little stories, stuff that I've forgotten or not. And um, the conversation with uh, so so you're you're playing right. It's right before training camp. Yeah, I'm the captain. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can tell you're still bitter. So uh, the uh, I hold on to a few things in life. <laughs> Should let go of most, but yeah. I hold on to one. So, uh, so Coach Keenan at the time, you're the captain of the team, correct? And this is a week before training camp. A few weeks before few, training few camp, we might be before... about a month. We might be a month out, and he usually did his rounds where he'd phone you. So he phoned me, and I saw his number ring, and I was all excited because you, you look your across and. I felt like I'd been in the best shape I had been in a long time, and I was excited for the upcoming season because we'd been to the finals in 2012, had a great year in 2013, and yeah. just got an influx of young talent. And I'm 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 all ready to to lead this group. And what he says to me on the phone is not what I want to hear. So <laughs> so he basically said, "Hey Jimmy, how's it going? Good. Well, Jimmy, I think you should retire." That is exactly the words that came out of his mouth. <laughs>
And I... What was your initial reaction? I didn't say much. No. I was pretty struck, and I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, if I'm being honest, uh, I don't think you're good enough for the group we have, and uh, there's not really going to be a spot for you this year. He goes, you could be a guy who's in and out of the lineup or maybe on a practice roster, but I don't think you really want to do that. And I said, no, I don't really want to do that. I, again, thought I was kind of in the peak of my career, and... You know, and then, then we actually had a real good conversation. And, I, and I, the one thing I'll credit about him, he's always honest. He said, you know, you could go try maybe to play in Calgary. You could go try to play in Colorado. They've phoned about being interested in you. But he's like, if you could just be patient, I'd like to find something for you to do within the organization. And so that's kind of how that conversation ended. And I hung up the phone and I was fuming mad. I didn't know what to do. I, you know, I think yelled at my wife a bit about stuff and <laughs> indirectly blamed her and any, everything else. It was, it was, and, and then a, a few weeks went by. He actually phoned me and said that there was an opening. Um, our defensive coordinator, our defensive coach wasn't coming back. And he said, I'd like you to take that position. And I was, he must've known that he wasn't coming back. He, he I think, yeah, I, I, again, I've never really fully asked him, but again, I, uh, I was kind of nervous at that uh, that opportunity, but at the same time excited, and I, I knew I had a great one to learn under in Derek, and so I, I took that on, and we went uh, 14 straight games that year without losing. So as a as a young assistant coach, I didn't know anything different. We were 16 and two, first in the league. We upset in the playoffs, and then really the next year is when that team started winning championships. And so again, I, I think he was a smart man to see that I needed to get out of the way to give those young guys the opportunity because we had a we had a, a plethora of guys that were, you know, big chomp, and fast. big, fast, and needed the opportunity. And I was kind of standing in their way, slowing them down. And so, um, yeah, it's a funny conversation. I haven't let him live it down. I think I remind him it uh, biweekly almost. Um, but again, I think at the time it was. I mean, looking back on it, it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah. So now. For you, you'd, you'd been a teacher at that yep. time for a long time. So teaching and coaching has a lot of similarities, right? And and I know a lot of players always talk about, like, Jimmy really understood the game. You're always a student of the game. You're a pretty smart player uh, from what a lot of people told me. And, well, you know, cerebral guy, right? Did, weren't, you know, if I wasn't, I wouldn't have been in the league. Yeah, yeah. You weren't, like, the, <laughs> you know, the most skilled player, right? No, like, wasn't the most skilled, yeah, fastest, skilled. strongest. Yeah. I, I, I tried to think the game. I was a guy who... Um, if McDavid would be on the ice, I would be nowhere near him. I'd be over the boards getting someone better on there for him if, if you want to talk a hockey analogy. And so yeah. I, I think that kind of uh, was a strength of mine, and I like to think it helps me as a coach. So that transition from being a teammate to an assistant coach, how difficult was it? Because I know a lot of times the, def- the assistant coach still gets to be a little bit of like the things are going wrong. Ah, it's okay, buddy, right? But it's still you go from being a teammate. And suddenly it's like you know what? Hey, you're going out there now, and hey, uh, you know what? Whether it's Corbeil or Rubish, you know, you're sitting down midski at a different time of the game. Like, how did you handle going from teammate? Because you're different. You're not your coach now. You're not the teammate. You don't get to hang out all the time. How was that transition? It was challenging at times, but again, I kind of understood it. I understood that there would be times where I got to kind of hang out with them as I would have almost as a player, but then there was times I needed to separate myself. And so I was able to do that. I think the one thing that, uh, you know, I, I was always very good at, and I, it always frustrated me when coaches wouldn't do this to when I was working with them was explaining the why. And okay. so for me, for, you know, for me, I think that was one of the biggest things I brought to uh, when, when I stepped behind the bench was why we're going to do this. And when players would come off and make a mistake, I wasn't about to point out the mistake they made at that level. I think at every level, they know the mistake they made my conversation. And, and my question always is, what did you see? And I, I think when you always just start, you know, kind of prodding into them and they're saying, oh, I didn't really see nothing. And then now all of a sudden we can see what, where, where they're at. 
Um, or if they said, you know, I thought the guy was open. Okay, well, then we can start to deliberate on, on exactly what's going on. And so I think, again, um, that, that really helped me. And then just understanding that, you know, the, the best confidence is preparation. And so just making sure I was prepared. And so I always laughed because I always had like a plan A, B, C, and D. And, you know, if plan A wasn't working and the players looked at me like, this isn't working, coach, I had a B ready to go. And I had a C and then I had a D. And I was hoping I never had to get to D. Um, and most nights I didn't. And then plan E was always going down the bench to Keenan and seeing what he thought. And so, again, I think some of those things, um, again, I was lucky to have really great teammates along the way in Toronto. And I had a great as assistant coaches um, that worked with me when I was in Edmonton. I think Devin Ray was unbelievable for me. Um, I think all those things, when you added it all up, it, it kind of made it fairly seamless. Um, yeah. And then, and yeah, and I think, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm right now thinking of the story when we went into overtime and Devin Ray was our coach and I kind of was one of the depth defenders and I looked at him and I looked at the bench and I said, what are we doing here? And he goes, what do you mean? What are we doing? I said, are we, are we shortening the bench? Like it's overtime. <laughs> Basically I was asking, am I getting a shift <laughs> in a roundabout way? And he looked at me and he goes, of course we are. And I think that was like, like for me, it was a really um, pivotal moment because he knew that we were a good enough team where we could actually afford the loss maybe early in the season rather than losing players. Okay. And so he was like, we're going to play the game. We're going to run the guys because I don't want, I want guys to still feel part of the team. 100% early in the year. And again, knowing what you have and, and, and what the team have. And so those are some of the things that, again, as a player, I was able to pick up on and then implement them as a coach. Um, and, and so I, I think those really helped me. Like, I mean, you talk about dealing with Corbeil. I remember the 2015 championship. It's the first shift of the game. We've got our, we're just running regular lines and someone gets beat and he turns around on the bench to me and he goes, play your horses. And I'm like, excuse me? He's mad because he's not on the floor and he feels like if he was on the floor, he would have done something differently. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to put this one in the back, the back pocket here. I'm going to remember it. So I waited for a shift where he had went up and down two or three times and he was just exhausted. We had a, a pretty good lead in Toronto at this time. And, uh, there was an opportunity for me to put him out there. And I said, Corbs, I need you. And I knew he was exhausted. And he looked at me and, he, and he's like, I can't go, coach. I can't go. And I said, play your horses. And he all of a sudden looked at me and he kind of realized what was going on there. And so I think sometimes finding humor, he laughed at it. I laughed at it at the same time, but finding some humor along the way. But again, always trying to, you know, understand the game and, and, and come at it from different angles and a strategic point. And um, I think do right now about my dad and my dad always told me that no matter who the person is, you can learn something from them. And so, again, I've tried to always carry that with me, um, be it a player, be it an assistant coach, be it a fan. I think everyone's got good ideas, sometimes not at the right time. But, again, to listen to them, you could, you could learn something. Jimmy Quinlan uh, joins us, head coach of the Saskatchewan Ross, and who is it Wednesday. And so you were running that defense. And for people that aren't lacrosse fans, Kyle Rubish was like the Patrice Bergeron of defenders. He was like, he was winning defensive player of the year all the time. It came like a running joke amongst his teammates. The only thing they chirp about was how long would it take him to score a goal, right? Cause uh, that was kind of the only thing they could chirp about. He's one of the best pure defenders I've ever seen, right? He was, and Corbeil was a dynamite player and Brett Midsky was a really good guy. But when you had a player like that and, and you're a coach, how would you challenge the elite guys? to get better well i think with our group because of how we played and we were pressure defenders it was simple it's their guys don't score a goal so you know and again we had midski and we had rubish and they were defending the same side and ryan dilks was over there and we would just call it like operation lockdown they're getting nothing tonight and again those were guys that loved that challenge you know it was how many times can we take the ball from them and it was again the defense we played and we're back to playing it now in saskatchewan is we want to get after it we want to go and make their life miserable. And if we make a mistake, we want to make it going 1,000 miles an hour. And so, you know, a guy like Rubes, 
that was it. Rubes was simple in terms of, you know, here's your matchup. At the end of the night, he gets nothing. And most nights, that's what they got. And it was, you know, funny to say, and he was quiet about it. Um, you know, and, and, and again, that's, that's, that was that entire group. And it was funny because they were all about the same age. They all came up together. Um, and they all just loved to compete and they all lo- just loved to win. And, uh, they were easy to work with. It was almost, uh, open the barn doors and then let the horses run. But as a guy who played deep, now you were a transition guy. You could play defense. You transitioned defense later in your career. You started as an offensive guy. But like the thing that always amazed me about like Rubich's ability you know, to get loose ball, like to create loose balls, right? Like it was a skill that's just a very good skill. Anybody who plays lacrosse, like just think about it for a defender who can always just pick your pocket. Like Pavel Datsuk, people would watch him back check and he's lifting guys' stick and you're like, oh my God. Rubish would do that in lacrosse, but the guy's got it in their pocket. Like it's way more secure, yet he could do it all the time. How? That is a very good question. It's one that guys have tried to emulate and they never seem to be as successful. And so, I mean, again, he's got tremendous footwork, um, he's got a very, he's very strong. He's got a heavy stick. Uh, when he throws a check, it just seems to dislodge the stick. There's a lot of times where he's actually just taking the whole stick out of the way. It was always funny. We would laugh in training camp when the new guy would come and they'd try to take him underneath, which means they'd take one hand off their stick and try to go low on him. And he would just literally take the stick right out of their hands and have the ball and be gone the other way. Um, and so he was a guy that, I, I mean, like a lot of those premier defenders in any sport, teams avoided. And so how he did it, I, I honestly don't know. Um, because again, you watch him in practice and he would pick every single pass off that was thrown his way. He just, again, it was funny because he never watched his defender, his, or sorry, his offensive player. He was never watching him, but he always had him. And so that just kind of tells you the, the IQ that he has. Um, and again, positionally, he, he did a lot of things that you teach people to do. And I think he just did them innately. Like the idea of if I'm going to look away from my check, I actually want to take a step off of them. So I create a space so that if they get the ball, I've afforded myself some room. He just does that naturally. I'd have conversations with him, and he'd be like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, you do it every single time you're on the floor. He goes, well, that's just how I play. <laughs> and and so, again, um, we were blessed. We were lucky to have him, and we were lucky to have guys like Midsky and Dilks and Corbeil. They were all yeah. you know, tremendous people first and then outstanding lacrosse players. Uh, Jimmy, you played hockey, Jimmy, uh, as well. The the benefits do you find for if – if you wanted a hockey player – the benefit of playing lacrosse, how would it help them in hockey? Well, I mean, the contact is yeah. the first and foremost. I, I, I always played hockey, and people would complain about getting hit. I watch the NHL now, and it's like you can't throw a hit without a fight happening. Um, that seems to be a regular shift in lacrosse, getting hit. And so I think that's one. I think, two, the hand-eye coordination. Um, I, I mean, you look at some of the guys in the NHL who've played lacrosse in the summer. They've got tremendous hands. Uh, and then I, I think the idea of just that compete, compete in that work ethic. I know in playing hockey, I always found it easier because you got to coast at times. You can kind of glide on your edges. Um, not that you want to be doing that a whole lot if you want to be effective. Maybe that's why my career never <laughs> went where it should have. But in lacrosse, you don't have a choice. If your feet aren't moving, you're not moving. And so just uh, I think those three things, your overall endurance. Um, and again, I just think the the idea, the, str- the, the strategy in the game with a shot clock, um, with the way defenses play, how you have to try to get inside of them, and they, they naturally have that inside positioning. I think there's a ton of areas where lacrosse really complements complements hockey. And, and again, I was always happy to play both. I think 
I was always excited for the hockey season, and then I was always excited for lacrosse season, so I never really got tired of one or the other. Well, the thing I've noticed most about kids that I've coached who play lacrosse is their ability to spin off players, right? They get in on the ice, and you can see them, and they're in the corner, and they spin off guys so much quicker than than the average non-lacrosse playing hockey player. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's the number one way to protect your stick is to use your non-dominant shoulder, and, and the only other way to get around a guy is to roll off him. And so, yeah, it's 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 something that you just learn naturally in lacrosse if you want to protect the ball and, and keep it. Jimmy Quinlan joins us. We'll take a quick break, come back with more on Who Is It Wednesday and the Jason Greger Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. And uh, so, Jimmy, now you know you, you went from being an assistant coach for a few years and Derek was, uh, you know, had told you, hey, you're ready to retire. How'd the conversation go when it was like, hey, are you ready to be a head coach? Well, that was interesting because I had actually taken a hiatus. We had our third daughter, my wife and I. Um, and so I took a break from the rush for two years. And then uh, COVID hit. And coming out of COVID, they, Derek had wanted to step back from his coaching duties. And so he was giving the reins to Jeff McComb, who's the other assistant with me when we were there together. And so I was coming back on board as to be an assistant. And I was excited to do that. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a great start. And we were struggling and we were struggling. And we got to, I think, game uh 14 we were four and ten and my good friend who I had worked with for you know close to a dozen years and had coached me as a player was uh the one who was taking the fall and I was the one who was going to be replacing him and so it was a very um awkward time just because of the relationships that we we, we had built um I remember I was in Banff with my wife on a, on, a, on a we had a bye week and he said, you know, like, we have to do something here. I don't think the team's following in that direction, and I, I'd like you to do it. And I, and the, the first thing I said was, like, what about Jeff? And he's like, well, I'll deal with that. Are you, would you be interested in doing it? And so, um, again, another real tough, honest conversation that Derek had to have with, with the people he worked with. And, um, again, I was excited at the opportunity. I felt like there were some things that we could do differently that maybe would, would kickstart us in the right direction. But at the, at the same time, I knew having worked with Jeff and all the preparation and work he did that it wasn't on him. And so again, uh, as anyone who's been around sports knows that, uh, it's easier to get rid of one person than sometimes the, the, the 25 players. And so, uh, I was excited to take, to take on the opportunity. Um, but at the same time, it was, it was a tough one for me. So going from assistant coach to head coach, again, is a tougher transition. I think maybe as a player, very different because when you're the head coach, you do have to make the tougher decisions a lot of times. At the end of the day, the buck has to stop somewhere and it stops with the head coach. You make the final decisions. You want to have good, open conversations. You want to empower your assistant coaches. But at the end of the day, the coach is the one who decides, you know, who's playing, who's not playing, different things like that. How, how have you handled that? What was the biggest learning curve for you to go from an assistant to a head coach? Well, I think I was lucky. I had an honest, you know, coach in Derek Keenan who told me I needed to retire and go <laughs> along those lines. So I, I, I learned that the, the, the best, the best answer is honesty. And so okay. again, it sucks. It sucks telling a player you're not good enough. Um, or I don't see you as good enough. Not you're not good enough, but we don't see you as good enough or you're not fitting into our plans. Um, and so those, those are really hard when you have to have those conversations with the players. Um, and so again, I, I always think it's first and foremost, you got to know them as people. Um, if you know them as people and they know that you're genuinely in, invested in them and, and you're interested in them, um, they're willing to do more for you and they're willing to listen to you a little bit more. Um, and so, so again, that was kind of the first thing that I did was, you know, I made sure to touch base with every single player and tell them where I saw them, um, what their strengths were, where I felt like they needed to grow. And some of those were hard conversations. Uh, 
And again, to this day, that's that, that's what I do is I, I reach out to our players on a weekly basis, individually through text or through phone call. I, I you know always try to tell them the things they did well, whether it be in practice. We've got guys who don't ever get in the lineup, so you got to find something good they're doing. And, and again, some of them, it's the energy and effort they bring every day in practice. It brings the overall compete up. Um, those are some of the things you, you talk to them about. And then at the same time, you got to tell them that you know you got to keep working, but you're still not in. And so. Again, they're not easy conversations, but I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is, is to just to be honest and open with your players and to have an open-door policy. I've had players come to me um, similar to I would have done to Derek when I was a player and said, I don't agree with what you're seeing. Um, that's usually when we pull out the film because the film doesn't lie. Um, but again, everything's always constructive, and it's never about the person. It's always about the play. And, yeah. and I think that's the biggest thing is if they understand that you have an interest in them as people – you can start to separate the person and the play, and, and they kind of start to see it more as as business rather than it's me. Jimmy Quinlan joins us. Um, how about uh, when you look back, have you made an, an improper evaluation on a guy and then you and say, okay, so what did I learn from that that I was missing so I don't do it again? Yeah, I mean, we always talk that there's no substitute for talent, but talent that doesn't work does you no good, and so... Um, there's been a couple players here, even in my short term that, um, I've been fascinated by their abilities and their talent. Uh, but really when it comes down to it, they don't have the internal drive or work ethic, um, to match that. And, and as a coach, do you think you can really bring that out on a player? It, it, it can be, it, it can be tough. I mean, you, you can uh, it, it, in spurts, but it's something that I feel like you always have to be bringing out. Um, and that can be taking energy away from other things that you need to be focused on. And so, um, that, that's kind of the one, um, area that, you know, again, uh, I'm a guy who I think made it to where I made it and just putting my head down and working hard and, and always competing. And, um, the best are when you can find guys that have a skill set that do that, you know, so I instantly think of Robert Church, who never comes off the floor. He loves to compete. He scored 51 goals for us last year at 102 points, was one of the top players in the league. And he's the, one of the first guys out on the floor shooting the ball and one of the last guys out shooting the ball. And if a guy screws up in practice, he's not happy. If he drops a ball in practice, he's not happy. Um, he's grown a lot in terms of how he communicates that with his teammates, but that energy and that hunger and that passion for the game, I, I, I truly believe uh, that can be very tough to coach. Do you find the, uh, you know, being a guy who's obviously pretty heavily invested in the lacrosse community uh, do you still sense the passion here? Uh, you know, kind of, there's no pro team, of course, but there's lots of people playing, uh, lacrosse and that, you know, the, the talent pool overall. How do you view it uh, in the Edmonton area? Very high, very high. I mean, the work that Jamie Bowen and John Lintz, those guys have done with the, uh, with AJ Joma, with the Edmonton Miners and Jordan Cornfield with the senior Miners. I think the lacrosse, like the abilities and the skills, um, at the high end are better than they've ever been. We just don't have the numbers really at the bottom end. And so, um, to me, I, I think it's just, again, growing our grassroots programs, uh, ensuring that those young players, when they start, have players that um, I'm not a big fan of tearing at a young age in lacrosse just because there's not enough players. And so when you start getting into the, the, the A, Bs, and Cs and you're working with a C team and no one can pass and catch, it's no wonder they don't get better because yeah. no one can throw them a good pass. Therefore, they can't catch a good pass. And so I think at the younger levels, there's this idea of we've got to incorporate all um, and then as maybe they get into their, their teens, we can start kind of streaming them um, a little bit different than hockey. But for the most part, yeah, the skill in Edmonton um, has never really been higher. The stuff I watched at the Minto Cup and through the Junior A season this year, um, those players are making plays that, you know, only the best players made. 
when I was a kid growing up, and it seems to be every other kid is doing it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If you were to give advice to what what is the most important kind of skill set like in hockey it's like if you can't skate you can't play obviously you got to be able to to move in lacrosse for sure but what are some of the like the basic foundational pieces that players are going to need to have success I'm not talking going pro because I don't care what league you play in it's hard to go pro but just you know maybe they can go NCAA you know maybe they can go to the minors or something what what are some of the foundational young pieces that players need and should be coached well I think first and foremost is their stick skills um so, so having a, a strong skill set and, and good f- fundamentals. Um, one of the things I see young players do all the time is overhandle the stick or overhandle the ball. Their stick's always doing 9,000 things rather than just keeping it quiet near their ear. Um, and then the second piece would be similar to hockey. Like you got to be able to run. And again, it's not fun. And, and it's, it's something though that we can all work on. And so, um, again, I think as a coach with young teams and even the professional teams, you can build that cardio component, that running component into your practice. Um, just make sure your players aren't standing around. And so at the pro level, we do very little chalk talk. And with uh, the youth, I would do even less. And oh, so really? again, okay. yeah, their, their attention spans. I, I think in the, in the, the beginning of a season, it's great. But I, again, I'm somebody who, um, maybe will only introduce one new play a day, one new day, a pr- play a practice. And the rest is we've named them and we yeah. just get into them. Yeah. And, and we're efficient with our time. And, you know, so when I say triangle shooting, even to the kids I work with at Vimy at school, they know where the balls go and the way they go. And so we can get a lot done in a short period of time just because of what we're doing. And so, again, it's being selective in what you choose. But when I'm choosing a drill, the two things that I'm always looking for are good fundamentals with their stick skills. So I make a lot of drills where they got to get it in and out of their stick quickly because okay. now when they got to get it in and out of their stick quickly, they can't overhandle it. And it cleans up a lot of the, the the bad habits. And then the second one would be they're moving. They're running, they're running, they're running. And so um, I always like when the little kids come off with sweaty heads. That yeah. means they had they had they they did some work. Yeah, they they had fun. They did some work uh, quickly. Uh, how are the rush looking this season? 
Lots of very interesting question. We open up here December 1st, a couple nights in, in Halifax, which should be a lot of fun. Halifax, eh? The league has changed. Halifax, yeah, short flight for us um, <laughs> on the on the regular airlines. Uh, no, yeah, we, yeah, I don't know how we are really. To be honest with you, we've turned over. I think we've got over half our roster is, is new players. We had an exhibition game last weekend in Moose Jaw, so we we we, we showcased the game into another part of uh, Saskatchewan, and we were received to a sellout crowd in the in the Warriors that, Arena there. Yeah, yeah, the so, Great Barn, unbelievable. Yeah, and so. Again, I didn't know what we had going in there. We played really well. Uh, obviously, we were a young team. We got a lot of things to clean up. But I, I think for the most part, if we can uh, be smart between the years and not make the same mistake more than once, uh, just with the tempo and pace we play at, we'll be very successful. Overall, how do you feel the, the health of the NLL is right now? I think it's very good. I, I think they've done a very good job in terms of getting solid owners. Um, most of the markets were in. Uh, you know, the, the, the team belongs to to an owner who has multiple... Um, tenants in the venue. Yeah. Uh, and, and so again, I think the league has, has never been stronger. I think they're actually looking at maybe expanding to a 16th team, but, um, for the most part, uh, every rink we go to is, is fairly well attended and, um, the product that's on the floor has, has never been better. Well, uh, I remember, you know, the, the season used to start in January. Now it starts in December. Uh, you've expanded. There's more games. There's more teams. Uh, I think it's healthier. There's obviously more players playing. And uh, continued success, Jimmy. It's always great to, to see you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here in studio on Sports 1440. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 